Alright, so I'm already I'm talking with Mike Michael Cadell from the Newton Mass Fire Department. A long time listen, you and I connected four years ago, and we're gonna talk about that. It was a great experience for me. One of the first departments that kind of opened their door to me, which was super cool. So I thank you for that. But brother, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I can't believe it's been uh, four years. Right? It was uh, uh, you came up. I look back at the the date on the photos. It's August third of twenty nineteen. So, and I, I remember my wife had a, a conference up there, and so I tagged along. Usually, she tags along on mine, and this one I was like, no, no, let's go to Boston for the weekend. And uh, and so selfishly though, I snuck in a department visit while she was in classes all day, and I came over and hung out with you guys, and it was just. A lot of fun, man. Uh, great company. Oh, yeah, great. yeah, I know. Super proud of the rescue. We're going to get into all that. Um, but real quick, man, who wants to be a millionaire? Let's talk about this real quick because I didn't see this coming. And I saw it. I was Googling, you know, just to get a little bit more information about you, about Newton and all that. And I see this pop up. Killer mustache, all tatted up. And I go, "Who? this guy doesn't fit this mold. What is this? That's hilarious. Yeah, it was great. Um, <laughs> it, it was. It, yeah. It, it, good experience. Uh, unfortunately, you know, when you're sitting at the kitchen table at the firehouse and you're watching any of the game shows. Right. You're sitting there answering or a super easy question comes up and you're like, oh, this guy's a dope. Yep. Yep. Well, I was the dope. <laughs> uh, it's hard, right? Cameras are on. Pressure's Cameras on, right? on. Um, Meredith was super sweet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a whole different thing when you're underneath the lights. What was the process? Was it, I mean, you have to apply online, right? And then from there they vet you and so on. Yeah. So I took a little online test, uh, got invited down to New York city. So I hopped on the Accela, went into town. Yeah. Hopped into a room with like 150 people. Oh, no kidding. Took a multiple choice test, handed it in. Uh, I think I went down to see the guys at Rescue One, hung around the city for the night, went home, and uh, got an email a couple of weeks later saying, hey, uh, come on in. That's cool. And uh, yeah, that was that. How, that that's awesome. I mean, what an experience, right? Like yeah, not, you know, I listen, I'm a huge fan of game shows. Like I love them. I grew up on them, you know, yeah, me too. I can't get enough right now of pressure luck, which is just like, I love It's a throwback to the days of pressure luck to where they are today. I freaking love it, man. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with, like my grandmother and everything. So if I were to, Stay home sick from school. <laughs> yeah. Hang out with grandma. Price is right. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. I I agree with you. TPIR, Bob Barker. I mean, these are just iconic games that I think like are. How old are you, Mike? Uh, 45. Yeah. So I'm 46. I'm going to be 47 next week, right? So like same generation. Yep. And we grew up on this stuff. It was just yes. what we knew, right? Yeah. After dinner, watch Wheel of Fortune. Jeopardy. Jeopardy yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I loved in college Jeopardy. We had two radio, we had two uh, TV stations. We had New York ABC seven, and then we had uh, the Albany station channel seven. And so Jeopardy was on at seven and seven thirty. So I'd watch it at seven, 
And then I'd play it, and then the guys would come in at, like, 7.30. We'd sit down, have dinner or whatever in a house. We were living off campus or whatever, or even up at the firehouse. And you just start spitting out the answers, and they just all, like, they just look at you, and they're like, you're not that smart. And I go, no, no, I am. I am. No, you dumbass. But anyway, listen, who wants to be a millionaire is pretty cool. That's That's got to be a story to tell. I mean, I'm, you know, unfortunately, you didn't win a million bucks, but uh, no. hell, of a, hell of a story, though. Yeah, I mean, I got uh, I got up pretty high. I think I was at the uh, ten thousand or fifteen thousand. Yeah. Question, whatever it was. Yeah. And it had to do with I think like Morgan Freeman. Like, where was he born? And I just the one piece of random trivia I didn't right. know. Right. Yeah. Are you good at bar trivia? Are you the guy? Uh, I'm I'm okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I need I like to surround myself with smart people because I'm not smart. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I, I like to know who I'm taking a bar trivia with me. So if you're available, you're going to be on my list for sure. So sign me up. And the other thing, too, about game shows, I always yell at these people. But like you go in with nothing. You have nothing to lose. Right. So go for it. Like, yeah, just absolutely. go for it. Yeah. Good for you, man. Well, what an experience. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, and, and, and of course, when I got back. Oh, uh, I can only imagine. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll I'll pull it out of my locker. I'll, I'll shoot you a picture. <laughs> they, of course, made a T-shirt. Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure that and was the least was of what up. they did. Yeah, I'm sure they had oh, fun yeah. with you, especially after it aired. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's I cool, man. Was, I, think it, I, I think it was on at every kitchen table in the station that day. <laughs> that's cool man well hey hell of an experience right yep. Yep. so anyway hey man thanks for joining me on the show this has been a long time coming um you know like i said it was uh four years ago that we got together uh it was gracious of you to in, uh, you know offer me an invite came over hung out with you guys for the afternoon i think it was we went for a ride in the rescue went down to the training building which i was impressed with um, the training building's cool, man. All the movable walls, you can configure yeah. it uh, the way you want. A lot of hard yeah, work went into that. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we kind of borrowed that idea from Boston. Yeah. Uh, I took a couple of the training guys over there, and they were like, this is awesome. We brought it to the chief, and he's like, okay. Yeah. Make it happen. Yeah. Uh, that's so nice. It's I mean, it's nice to have, to have It's nice to have an administration that supports the, the effort. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for you then, give me a little background about yourself, um, how you found the fire service. We'll start there. I'm sure there's it's a lot of roots here. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, um, we lived down the street from one of the firehouses, and my grandfather used to take my mother to follow the trucks. He was one of five boys, kind of like the Sullivan boys. Yep. They all went to World War II. Right. My grandfather was the only one not to become a cop or a firefighter. Oh, okay. So he would follow the trucks, probably trying to catch up with his brother. Sure. And when I was a kid, my mom did the same thing for me. So it was kind of always there. Uh, I was going to try to sign up for the military. Uh, They found like a sports hernia. So they were like, get that fixed. Come on back. Yeah. Uh, in that time I had taken the civil service test. I started getting the cards and here I am 22 years later. No volunteer service then, right? This is, this was right from, you know, graduating high school basically into, uh, you know, going into the fire service career. Yeah. I was working in the trades, Mm -hmm. uh, took the test. What were you doing? 
What kind of what kind uh, of trades? I was working in uh, electrical. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I was doing that. And well, I know tech that. rescue is is a passion of yours. I know the rescue company is certainly a passion for you. I, I remember our conversation years ago when you guys outfitted the rescue and and you know you t- just the the discipline that you have for those services. And so that's why I asked you about the trades. I'm just kind of you know curious what your background was because it takes a certain person that wants to get into and dive all in on on you know the special hazards. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, you know, when I got on, I started taking classes at the academy, just everything. Just try to become, you know, a good firefighter. Yeah. And one of my mentors was like, hey, uh, you know, there's tech rescue. You can, you know, go repelling. You can cut up cars. You can lift stuff. You can crawl around in tight spaces. Now, did Newton have that at the time? Was that? No. No, right? No, nothing. So you would you had to pursue that outside of the department then? Yeah, I took so many classes through the academy, and it got to the point they were like, "What are you doing? Just come teach with us." <laughs> I guess they got sick of seeing my face, so they wanted to see me more. Yeah. Well, I mean, but what was the push then? Like, what what was it about it that made you want to pursue it more? I mean, it, there's. There's always those guys like I'm 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 super uh, jealous of guys like you because I wish I, it's not that I don't have the passion. It's just like I, I just don't have the time. I, I don't know. It's excuses, I guess. But, yeah. you know, the thing is, is like I none of that does anything exciting for me. Right. I just I love being a fireman. I love putting water on a fire. I love cutting people out of cars. That's about the extent of my special hazard work. Right. You know, the extracurricular stuff. But, you know, for you, like, what was it? Was it the challenge? Was it the personal growth? Like, what was it? Yeah, I guess it's just all of the above. Um, You know, people call 911. They want us to solve problems. If we get into a tech rescue thing, that's a very big problem. Sure. And you need brains, you need brawn, you need skills. And I don't know, we have a saying like super type A personalities. Yep. Um, and I kind of fall under that. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just doing something scary. Like I love rope. Yeah. But I hate heights. Interesting. Right. So kind of tackle your fear. Um, you know, people will get claustrophobic even when they're crawling around in their SCBA. Sure. You know, yeah, I'm a big guy, but I like crawling around in, you know, confined spaces. It's a personal challenge then for you. It's pushing, it's pushing yourself to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. Embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's something to that, right? But I think that you inherently have to have a little bit of that in you because not everybody is disciplined enough to push themselves to learn more, be better, to embrace that suck, right? So, like, there's something inherently in you, probably from your childhood, that that raised you, you know, whether you were raised that way. But not everybody has that, bro. Uh, no, and that's why, you know, it's one of the specialties of our service. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have the guys that just want to drag the hose, put wet stuff on the red stuff. 
you know, smash a roof, do what they want to do. And I love, I love all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, That's I me. Train on that too. <laughs> yeah. I pick things up and put them down, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. But we need us. Yeah. You know? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, you were pursuing all this extra training on your own then outside of your own department and your own department didn't have a company or resources then to give you an outlet to practice. Right. So what did that look like for you? Were you getting frustrated with that? Was that an issue for you or no? No. um, You know, I was young. Yeah. I I wasn't married, didn't have any kids. Uh, You know, I'd go in for one day, I'd have three days off. So I had plenty of time to pursue and put all my energy Mm. into the career. Okay. Okay. And then, but all right. So then from there though, how did the rescue company come about then in Newton? Right. Because I know that you guys are, you run a a rescue company, which handles all hazards um, and so on. So I know when I was there four years ago, we went for a ride. I mean, it's a beautiful tandem axle, you know, walk in rear, um, and so on. And it's a disciplined company that's fully outfitted with everything that you guys need to perform the duties of a rescue company. So how did you evolve from, you know, I mean, what, 20, over 20 years in a fire service, right, Mike? Yeah. I'm in my 23rd now. 23rd year. So from there, I mean, that's not a long, long time. I mean, it's a, it's a bunch of years, but it's not to develop a new company, new disciplines to get funding and guidelines and all that in place. Um, I'm sure it was no small feat. No, it was a long time coming. Back in the early 2000s, the, the, the department was very stagnant. Uh, issues with uh, City Hall. Yeah. And they ended up cutting an engine. Now, at the time, the assistant chief wanted to turn that engine into a rescue company. So that it's always that was always his goal. Yeah. To bring that into the department. So from about 2006 up until about 2017 when we put it in service, that's how long the project took. Wow. Okay, so you're talking 11 years from concept to delivery of an actual company hitting the pavement. Yeah. And it, it, it really started picking up around 2012. Okay. Where I was in the training division. The assistant chief was now the chief of the department. I started writing grants for him. We got a training grant. We got a vehicle grant. And yeah. <clears throat> the, the process, though, I mean, to build out, you're not just adding another engine company, which already has its guidelines, its policies, right? Everything in place. We just need a new truck, a new building, and new people, right? Yeah. I mean, this is this is a creation of a, a tech rescue, a heavy rescue company from the ground up. Resources for you. What did you? Who did you lean on? Where Where did you go? I mean, you know, up in your area, you guys are surrounded. There's a lot of cities up there. A lot of um, long established rescue companies in other cities. So I'm sure you had a tremendous amount of reach and resources for you. Yeah, and that's a great thing about being an instructor with the state. Mm. All of our programs are on the road, so our tech rescue program isn't just at the academy departments will host it and we're traveling the state so the amount of people that i've met i've become friends with 
is huge. So I had a huge pool of people to like call upon and be like, Hey, how did you do this? It's awesome. What's the, what about this piece of equipment? You know, what are you carrying? Uh, so that really helped. Did you guys go, did you go into this gradually though? I mean, did no. no. So this was all in. We're not going in service until we're ready to be a complete company. Exactly. Uh, the chief got buy-in from city hall, uh, to add people to the department. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a turnaround then, right? Because it went from it went from, you know, friction in the system to putting more people on to staff a new company. Exactly. You don't hear about that a lot these days. No, no, not at all. Well, that's always the opposite. Was it grant funded? I heard you say grant. So was it was it like the AFG or something like that that allowed for more hires or Uh, we didn't get the hires. Okay. uh, Through grants. Okay. We, we got a training grant that we completed in 2014. We had 22 people move to a day shift. We did, I like to jokingly call it the tech rescue summer camp. I love that. We did, yeah, we did eight straight weeks in the summer and we tackled everything all the way up to structural collapse. So, wow. Yeah. And then a lot of a lot of that though these yeah a lot of that these guys have to pursue themselves too. There's a lot of extra time built in. These guys got to go find these classes also or the recertifications, right? Have you found a lot of your guys now? I mean, so now it's there's probably guys in your department that didn't know the department without the rescue company, right? I mean, oh, hundred percent. I mean, the truck's been in service uh, seven years, right? Right. And that's that's part of the conversation I love is when you talk to people and you go, yeah, well, we're making a change today. But you know what? The people coming in after us, they'll never know the difference. They don't know what it was like before it. Right. And so we got to start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Like you said, to add a company and get more personnel on the job. Yeah. In in the 21st century. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, well, you need to be you need to be uh, sharing your magic and uh, you know the the potion you were sharing with everyone because it it worked, man. But uh, that's got to be exciting. Then I mean, especially for you as a young kid taking all these classes, getting your certifications, going to teach this, and then to be able to create it on your home turf—that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and I, I tell people I kind of screwed up by taking the next test, mm. promoting myself off the truck. Which puts you where now? What what hat are you wearing today? Uh, so I'm the sh- uh, one of the shift commanders. Yeah. So you you went from the front right seat of the rescue to a buggy now, correct? Yeah. Missing it, huh? Yeah. I get it. I get it. How long? I remember seeing. Uh, I remember seeing the uh, the what did I, what came across my way where I was like, oh, he's now a chief. Are you what? Are, what's your title though? Are you a deputy? Uh, deputy. Deputy. Yeah, That's deputy what I thought. Chief. So, deputy chief. I saw something come across. I don't know if you posted on your page or something, but I saw that and I saw, oh, wow, that's great. You know that exciting. But I remember how passionate you were about the truck and and tech rescue, and I'm I was still like, in. Still uh, in. of course, absolutely. But it had I'm to be teaching, still teaching it. Yeah, all the time. It had to be a shift though for you. Big, big, big. You wanna you wanna elaborate on that or? You just don't want to talk about it. No, it's just one of those things, you know. Like I said, I'm 45. 
Right. You know, instead of getting in there and like having your own crew, like that camaraderie, you know, you put the gold on. Yes. You kind of get a little separated and standing in the front yard and pointing your fingers. Well, I I think this is me personally, and I, I, I haven't found anybody that really disagrees with me, but we need guys like you in command positions. You know, we, we find a lot of guys that carry so much experience with them, keep it on the back step of the truck, and of course we need it there, or in the front seat of the truck, of course we need Absolutely. it there. But we also need really squared away people that are good at the firefighting and rescue side to also be in the command staff so that they can endorse those companies to work, let them work and believe, you know, when you come from that frame, from that framework and and that's what you know, then as a, as a leader, you can then let your people work. And that's one of the biggest things, right? Oh, 100%. Um, I like it because a lot of, the guys that I I had on the rescue, obviously they're very motivated, very intelligent. Yeah. And unfortunately, they take the tests and they get promoted. Right. But like you said, that leadership up and down the chain. Yeah. To have the right people in positions of leadership. So Wait. that makes my job so much easier. Oh, 100%. I can only imagine it. And I'm just thinking, you know, on anything where the rescue is being put to work, right, in a, in, a special, uh, in a special circumstance, some type of tech rescue or some type of incident that requires an operation like that, your incident command staff, your middle managers, they all need to understand the capabilities and, and uh, abilities of that company. And that's that's where that's where your experience and knowledge from sitting in that right front seat and being a part of teaching tech rescue and you know being the boss of that company for so long, it matters in the decision making of how that operation goes. And that's the whole thing. It just we're rolling up to pretty dangerous situations, and we got to make sure that everything is done done smooth, done slow. Yeah. It's my job to make sure everyone goes home. Sure, sure. And that's like one of my important, most important things. Yeah, for no, no doubt, right? But the mission is the mission, and uh, you guys, you know, in 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 tech rescue, there it is. There's not a tech rescue situation that is not uh, of of peril, right? Like exactly. you guys are being called in to take care of something that is above the normal. And so typically there's a much higher risk involved, right? Yeah. You know, it's specialized training. Yeah. Specialized equipment and specialized people. Yeah. So often in tech rescue, right? I mean, the rescue company is still going to fires. You guys are still doing the fire work and all that fire duty and so on. But then on the tech side, right, there's all these different avenues and, and disciplines that you have to go down. But it's not every day you're setting up you know, a pickoff or not every day you're setting up trench panels or not every day you're doing stabilization on a collapsed building. How do you stay engaged? I mean, it's one thing to stretch lines, cut roofs, throw ladders, practice search techniques, but you're practice all the time and you're using those on a more regular basis, not every day, but you're using them on a more regular basis to see the benefits, the fruit of your labor is being put to work on the fire ground. But when you have a building collapse and all this 
hours and hours of learning shoring and, and tunneling and all those things, and then maybe two, three, four in your career, how do you if you're lucky? How do you yeah? How do you stay engaged? Just keep training. Just keep it's a mindset, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just keep training. And we've been very lucky in the department. We've been bringing in, you know, other training agencies to hold classes for our members. And that's kind of just built in yearly where we have classes once, twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. Training is training. Practical and on the street is another one, right? So, I mean, it's it's just – it takes a specific person and a specific mindset, right, to be prepared. I think it's like that uh, – just to be prepared to do that job. And, and I, I had a conversation this morning on another episode where the chief I was talking with talked about instead of being – you know, all in on the job, be all like the duties of the job. You have to buy into the work that goes into the job. And I, that's a big part of it, especially for specialized training. Specialized training or or just the basics, you've just got to keep honing it. If you get to a point where you think you know everything, all right, go hit the retirement office. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's just you got to keep honing your craft. I I believe you 100 percent. I believe you because I'm like when we do knots and stupid shit for firemen and I'm like, mm, I'm like, yep, uh, I got it. Yeah, right. right. I, I agree, man. It's uh, it's that, you know, it's it's like that uh, you just have to you just have to do. So I, I guess for me then, right, like I'm kind of jealous of that mindset. I mean, it's just because there's so many different things. But I have to think, though, that the payoff is, is huge. When you get to put those skills to the test and the guys come together and you're removing a, a guy off some scaffolding or a window washer or, or some high-profile incident, right, when you do get to them, the frequency is not there. But when you do get to do it and it's successful – it's got to be a tremendous payoff. I've had a couple of calls where when I've got there in the chief's car and everything is just running, just boom, 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 just so smooth. Uh, you know, we had a rollover on the highway last summer. A guy was pinned. They had him out in five minutes. Yeah. And you just feel proud mm-hmm. for the guys because they're putting the effort in, they're putting That's the it. time in. And then when you get to implement that, those skills and have a positive outcome. Yeah. It's, there's nothing better. Uh, especially sitting as the chief, right? Company officers, one thing, right? To see it come together, but you're training with them. So you know, their skills and abilities. It's another, when you're the chief and you're sitting there and you watch it all come together. Right. And it's just like, Damn. Yeah, like that. It's how it should be. Yeah, yeah. On the rescue company itself. Um, well, let's let's go down this road real quick. So Newton, Mass. How big of a department? Uh, Ten trucks, about two hundred members. Uh, right now, we're running fully staffed at forty-two per day. Okay. And when you say ten trucks, how many engines? How many trucks? Uh, six engines, three ladders, and the rescue. Okay. 
Got it. A private EMS. For transport. Do you guys do first responder? Yeah. 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 Okay. We're on, we're on the 911. So uh, we're busy with that. I think we're right around 11,000 runs last year. Okay. So I think we're uh, top 10 biggest in the state. Got it. Okay. So six engines, three truck, and a rescue. And then you're a tour commander as a deputy chief, right? Yeah. Do you have battalions under you or no? No. So you're running citywide? Yes. Do you go out on what, like, what's your criteria for going? Uh, we get put on, you know, straight boxes, commercial COs. Okay. You know, certain type of motor vehicle accidents. Got it. Stuck elevators. You do? As as yeah. a deputy. Okay. So you're running then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. No, I love that. I mean, some, you know, some guys that, you know, for your, your class A's, your automatics, things like that, they're not going out. You know, it's the engine and truck will handle. What do you get for a box, a reported fire? What do you guys, what do you turn out for that? Three engines, two ladders. One of them is the RIT company, mm-hmm. the rescue, uh, medic truck, and the okay. deputy. So we've been focusing on the rescue, which I want to do because I know that's your that's your love. So um, on the rescue for a reported fire, are they coming in and, and acting as like a, a third truck? Like are they doing all special service work? Yeah. My time on the rescue, it was, all right, Chief, what do you need? Okay. All right, go help do a search. Uh, and when I was there, we were wearing our bottles. Okay. So 95% of the time, it sucked. But when you got to a fire... It yeah, was it was good. Because <laughs> we'd go do our search. Right. Okay, all clear. I'd tell my crew, all right, go find the hose line. Right. Those guys are going to be out of air. In a yep. Minute. Yep. We'd go grab the nozzle, and we'd be the only ones in the building for a while. There's there's something to be said for departments that can run a, a, a heavy rescue or a rescue company. Um, they have the abilities to be in the more perilous positions that we've talked about, right? And even on the fire ground, it's typically the floor above, the roof, the fire apartment, or, or the you know the room of origin, whatever it is, right? But a lot of times they end up pushing up the line and getting the line further into the building, or and so on. So it's it's a prestigious it's spot. It's the versatility, and you really have the guys that want to be there. Yeah. You know, you got the workers that want to do the work. Well, it's not an easy company to be in. You got, you got a tremendous amount of discipline. You have to have a tremendous amount of discipline, and you gotta, you gotta work. I mean, you gotta train, you gotta work, and so it's the payoff, right? Yeah. Special teams, the special like teams. I, like I always say, it, I never want anything bad to happen to anybody. I don't want anybody to lose all their belongings, all their stuff in sure. a fire. But if I had a fire every day, I went to work. I'd be a happy person. Sure. Fires happen. I just want to be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If something's going to happen, I want to be there. I want to be there. I want to solve that problem. Yeah. No, well said. And and I think that's that super alpha you talked about earlier. Is that is that what you said? <laughs> type A. Type A, type, yeah. Type A. Super type A. Yeah, because, I mean, there's type A's and then there's type A's. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I want to be in the middle of it um, for sure. So how does um, how does that – I'm just trying to think, like, so it's got to be a good spot. How does how do guys find their way to that company? Uh, 
by putting in the uh, putting in the work, putting in the effort. Yeah. Yeah. And then do they have to have training before they come over? Uh, it really helps. Okay. And a lot of our young guys, because we're a very young department now, uh, they're taking advantage of all the classes that our department's offering. Um, I see them taking classes through the state. So, you know, the young guys are getting it and putting in time. Uh, and that's, I mean, I love that, right? So I hear, you know, so everybody talks about how young their department is and a lot of guys have left and we got a lot of new guys and how do we keep up with the with the experience that's being lost and, you know, and so on. And that's a real debate in the fire service of how we combat that. But I think, Chief, that you guys are doing it right by providing the opportunities for these young guys to get the skills yeah. and experience, right? You might not be able to get the experience on the fire ground every day or in a tech yeah. rescue every day, but it all comes from your base of training, right? And that's why I stress training so much because we, we don't get the fires. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not the 1980s, 1970s war years. Yeah. You know, so we, we can't gain the real world experience. So we got to find the next best thing. You know, it's, I was just thinking about it with you in, in talking about tech rescue. And I, I asked you before about like, you know, it takes a lot of um, discipline to train, 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 and maybe never perform. And it, you know, under the pressure of a real rope job or a real yeah. building collapse. Right. And I, but you're still expected to do the job and you still have to have the skill set to do that. And it's through continuing education, right? That's it. I mean, you look, you look at the military. Mm -hmm. they train every day for war for their mission and so might never come and so where where i was headed with that and i'd love to get your feedback is then why do we kind of vilify that on the firefighting end where it's like you know fires are down so these guys don't have the experience that we once had and i'm like okay maybe it's not the same experience but it's experience they're training more than they've ever trained they're reading, you know, they're learning more than they've ever learned. And especially if you're in a department that gives them that culture, that, that ability yeah. to push themselves, give them the tools, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's our job to make sure our communities are safe. We've got to present the best possible product for, you know, our constituents. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yep. Go ahead. No, it's... You know, the old timers, well, you guys don't fight fires. It's like, okay, well, they've thrown everything in the kitchen sink at us yeah. to respond to. Right. You know, we're dealing with so many different avenues and issues and problems. There's just so much for us to learn. Do you think that we have a hard time focusing because of the the grandioso approach that we have to take now that we have to be generalists with everything because from a tech I mean, rescue, difficult, it makes it difficult, right? Oh yeah. But this is where I think then knowing your, knowing your companies and to deploy assets and in, in the correct training, it's like, we have to be generalists all day long, but we do need some people that are super specialists. specialists. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, that's why I just, you got to know your truck. You got to know what your specific mission is and train to your best ability. Yeah. You know, when I first got on the job, the senior guy said, you got to be out on that apparatus floor. You need to know the insides and outs of that truck. And I think it took me like a year and a half until he was off my back. You know, he just quizzed me. All right, where's this? 
How does that work? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Need it. Has to happen, right? I mean, you got to put the work in. This is not this is not something that you can you can learn by the you know the seat of your pants. Like you you need to put the work in. Uh, you almost kind of have to keep that proby mindset, right? Where you're just out of academy, you're in the books, you're doing repetition, you're learning, learning, learning. You know, the first year you get on, you're learning, learning, learning you got to try to maintain that throughout your whole career. Yeah. I mean, it, it, not only that, but as you promote and as you graduate to the next level, right? You go from fireman to back to, to a company officer. From a company officer, you go to a command staff or, you know, a white hat. And in your situation, a deputy. There has to be a tremendous learning curve for you coming into that. Oh, yeah. And you got to prepare yourself for that. If that's the avenue you want to take, well, then start training and learning for that. What was that process for you? Um, just kept taking more and more classes. Um, you know, fire ground operation classes, uh, command and control. Right. <clears throat> fire officer classes, went and got my master's degree in nice. public administration. Uh, the, taking, the other side of the job. The other side, but yeah. But yeah. It, it, you know, you knock it if you want, but it does come in handy. Oh, 100%. I, th- I think we need to do more of it. I think that... You know, I think on as they as you come up through middle management, you and I, I say that from a corporate perspective. It's not what the fire service is, but when I say that, it's company officers, right? Lower chiefs, battalions, something like that, deputy, whatever it is, right? But to to have a background in understanding budgeting, understanding equipment purchasing, organizational management, organizational management HR, like all those things, right? Okay, because. 90% of your day, that's what you're dealing with. Yeah. You're dealing with people. Personalities. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> I said it. You didn't say it, Chief. Don't worry about it. I said no. it. But it that is the side of things that I think... I think that's... I can understand how people get disconnected from the rank and file when they start going through these you know, promotional processes and, and pursuing, you know, the, the different aspects of the job in a command type of way. But if you're not on the fire ground every day as a command officer, you start to get disconnected, I think, and, and to be able to stay grounded, right? And, but I can see why somebody that goes along the administration side can get disconnected from what's happening on the streets every day, right? Oh, 100%. If you're not boots on the ground and you're – Heads buried in the paperwork, yeah, you're definitely gonna lose, you know, that connection. Yeah, and and it's finding that balance, though. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, you still get to go out the door twenty times on a twenty four hour tour, right? I'm sure your car is always always running. You know what I mean? Especially if you're you know on almost everything that that you guys are going to, um, which has to keep you sharp. It has to keep you involved with the guys. Then understanding what's happening, right? You're you know yeah. you, you get your you know, your, your boots in the street, it's, it's important, but remove yourself from that position for a year or two. And then all of a sudden, no, kind of forget what it's like. Right. 
And I, I, I just think like, you know, so many different people listen to our platform and, and this is where chiefs really need to still get out. And, and I, I've met so many dynamic chiefs. I was just talking to one last night about a fire and, you know, he got, you know, a little uh, aggressive himself because he needed to be, I got another, you know, another friend of mine, that's a chief of the career department. And he was helping push the first line in because they were having issues, right? Like, you can't forget who you are. Like, you're still cheap. You're still a fireman. Still a firefighter. Right? Yep. Yep. And that's one of the, like, that's one of the hardest things for me. Mm. Is letting my guys do the work. Sure. And then making sure that they have what they need and they're operating safely and not get my hands dirty. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm trying to think of the saying. I can't think of the saying at the moment, but I was talking about it last night. We, were, I, we had a small fire last night. We were picking up from it, and I was talking to a friend of mine there, and, you know, we were talking about um, having to, like, really explain some things along the way, which, you know, we haven't had to do before, you know, and it's like, why are you stretching – why are you stretching this way when we could just stretch from point A to point B instead of taking the ordinary person route? You know what I mean? Like we might want to cut through the bushes or through the trees and not follow the driveway to the front walk, to the gate, to the, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, mm -hmm. it's just this different mindset. And it's like, it's just funny how different minds work. And so it's finding a way to connect, to educate and, and, you know, uh, have that conversation. But we have to, we have to be able to explain and talk more than ever about this job and how to do the job. And, and we were talking about like, yeah, pointing over there and the officer now points with his flashlight instead of, you know, uh, hooking it yourself. Right. And so you go from a tool, you become a company boss. Now you might be a flashlight. Then, you know, from a company boss to a command position, now it's a flashlight to a radio. Right. I mean, it's just, but it's part of the process. But I think, though, this goes back to what we were talking about, was that this is where the experience comes in. It's like if you were a hands-on fireman and you were a hands-on boss, you're going to be a hands-on chief, and your people are going to know that, and they're going to they're going to understand your expectations more than most, I would think. Yeah, and I think for any of the chiefs out there that, that listen to you, when the companies are out training, join them. Yes, join in yeah you know hop hop into the drill work work with them you know i'm not going to send my people into something that i wouldn't go into myself <clears throat> right like i'm uh, i'm still capable of doing the work and that's kind of like leading by example like i'll work come on let's go yeah it sets the tempo and, and I'm, uh, I'm very lucky. All the company officers I have in my group, all top-notch people. Yeah. Just unbelievable firefighters, great fire officers. That's good. It just, it just makes my job so much easier. Well, it sounds like there's a culture that promotes that, though, right? Like, your people will flourish. They will excel if you give them the ability to do that. If we hold our people back, we tie their hands, we don't give them the, the latitude or longitude they need to grow. Then you've got nothing. You've got nothing. You've got I, nothing. I agree with you. 
I agree with you wholeheartedly. I talk about it all the time. And you watch this permission culture we have today where guys have to ask permission to do things, and then you wonder why the fire ground is slowing down. People can't make decisions. It's because you're, you're hamstringing them. My guys know my expectations. They know what to expect out of me. Because you've told them. Yeah. You demonstrate the first thing. Yeah. It was the first thing when I got in the car. Talked to every single one of them. Like, this is what I expect. What do you expect from me? Yeah. You do your job. I, you know, I have utmost confidence in them. Yeah. I think that's so important, though, and I think that's a part of the equation that's missing for many is a lot of people don't paint a picture of expectation. I expect this from you. This is what I'm looking for. I expect you on scene. I expect that line in service within whatever, and if it's not in within three minutes or something, I need to know why it's not, you know, we don't have water on the fire yet. Like, there needs to be benchmark expectations that people need to know. Um, you know, I want to be involved here. I don't want to be involved here. You handle this. I'm not handling it. Like, but that takes, it takes a certain somebody to be able to do that. And I think a lot of the problems we have is the lack of conversation when it comes to expectations. And how can you hold somebody accountable for something if they didn't know they were accountable for it? Exactly. And yeah. That's a, that's one of the difficult things is having that one-on-one conversation. A lot of people don't like confrontation. Yeah. And they might take that as confrontation. So through training, you can overcome that and be able to have honest conversations, set honest and realistic expectations. And then you have a great, so you have a great relationship with people. Yeah, I I would agree, and I think there's I think there's a connection there too. I think that guys that guys that push themselves to be better, they go out for more training. They push themselves to be better. They push themselves on the fire ground. They push themselves in other aspects of their life to be better, to do more. I think those are the guys that aren't struggling with communication. Like you know, Mike Cadell is going to come on scene and he's going to tell you if he's not happy with something, or he's going to or he's going to give you a pat on the ass and tell you good job. He's going to give you an attaboy, right? It's oh, that yeah, that's just as important, if not more important, right? Oh, yeah. But there's that level, there's that level of expectation that that's going to happen, and we have to communicate that. If we don't, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Yep. And it goes back to that whole going to college and getting your degrees. Like that's a big, big part of that educational aspect. What was the what was the push for you to get your master's? Was just promoting up the line you felt that you wanted to go and and further your own education yeah and you said what public administration yeah how was that awesome yeah yeah it just you know when i was in high school or in you know grade school if i didn't like something i didn't pay attention right you know kind of typical for the fire service Mm -hmm. you know you find something you love you're gonna dive headfirst into it so that's, that's, go ahead. Well, you're going to say something else? Yeah, go ahead. no, that's it. And so yeah. I, I got into the groove. I did, I didn't have any degrees. When I realized that I wanted to move up the ranks, went right, got my associates, rolled right into a bachelor program, right into the master's. It's cool. Just to prepare, you know, to pre- 
prepare myself for the possibility of being in a leadership role. Yeah, I mean, you got 23 years in, you're a deputy chief, you're young, you're only 45 years old, so you got plenty of time left if you want to stay. Uh, so the chances of promoting up, yeah, for sure, right? And, and to even support you in the role that you're in now, it matters. Oh, yeah. I, I find I was, I hated school. Like school did not interest me. I was not, I was not an academia type of kid. I, I, I just didn't enjoy it, but man, get my hands dirty. I lived in the shop, my high school. I lived in the shop wing, man, metal shop, wood shop, auto shop, drafting. Like those were an electrical major, right? We had a, we had a great tech voc program. Yep. So I was down, uh, down in the basement. Yeah. In the electrical shop. I got it, right? Dingy and dirty. That's how I liked it, right? That's who I was. I grew up that way, getting dirty, right? But I think now at 46 years old and understanding what I know now today, I would be interested in going back for furthering 100%. education. And I know that I would like ace, like I would be a straight A student. Like I would put the time in and work harder than I've ever worked because I'm a different person today. And I, I value education. I mean, I have two, my two older kids are graduated college already in personal life. They're doing great. My two younger kids are in high school right now. Um, and Paige is going to be going off to college in another year and a half. And Lily's right behind her two years later. And so like, we're starting to do the college thing again and, you know, and so on. And I am such a proponent of, and I went to college, I got my bachelor's degree, right? But I hated so every. Did you, have, uh, mm. did you have the same thing I always got? Full of potential. Full of potential. Full of potential. I was so smart kid. Full of potential. No, no shocker here, but I was the schmoozer salesman, right? So I mean, literally got kicked out of college, like kicked out of college twice, <laughs> talked my way back in both times, and that was unheard of. Like that never yeah. ever happened in the history of college they were like there's no way you're getting back in here and i talked my way back in i did live i did like interviews with panels like i was not i didn't shy away from this talking and and selling myself and so i was always a salesman but there's that fine line growing up as a salesman and to not be a bullshitter and I struggled finding that groove for a long time. Like when I was younger, I was a bullshitter, man. I, I, I was at, when I joined the fire service, when I was a young fireman and a young uh, fire officer, I was a bullshitter. Like I, I didn't, I'm not who I am today. I'm a much better, more mature. I don't know if I'm more mature, but much better, you know, more, more put together. But I valued things today that I did not value years ago. So full of potential? Experience. Yeah. Experience. Full of potential. Full of potential. Yep. I think it's fun, man. Like, I I love watching, like, guys like you and I succeed in life. Not just the firehouse, but in life. Like, it's just, you know, we found our way, and then you come back around, and you just, you're always pushing to make yourself better. And I think that's a really big part of it, right, is, like, never – I don't know. Um, this don't, is more don't like give up. Yeah. Don't, it, or don't it, settle. It, it don't no, definitely don't settle. Right. Yeah. I I think that settling is the easy way out, and so people settle. Whether it's your movement in the fire service, whether you're in a fire company and you're not happy with the company you're in, but you're not going to do anything to get yourself out of it, so you're just going to bring yourself down to their fire. level, right? Yeah. Just show up barely go through the motions 
Don't Go settle. Yourself. Push yourself. You There's so much more reward. I, I was talking to a guy earlier, a chief earlier, who's like a training chief too. And I said to him, I said, one of the questions I asked him uh, was, what's the reward you get? I said, you're your training chief for your department, but also you teach at the county academy. So you're instilling knowledge and experience and values and all these things into these new kids to the experienced firemen. I said, you're, you're doing that. What's your takeaway? And he, he said to me, and I love that. I just sat back and listened, Mike, but he was like, I love being able to pay it forward because I remember what that did for me when I was young. 100%. We got to leave. It's our job to leave the job better than we found it. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes work. It does. But it, like the days of old, when I first got on, you know, the people that had the knowledge, they kind of just held on to it, you know, just kind of hoarded all of it. Maybe give a little bit here and there. Does us no good. Does us ah, no good. Nope. It's horrible. You can give it all away and still be the smartest guy in the room, right? Like you, you listen, like you, you can have all the answers. You could be the 40 year guy. But you're doing us no good if you're taking it all with you when you walk out the door. If you're not passing it on. Yeah. You know, when I was going through taking all the promotional exams, I would take all my notes. If anybody wanted it, here. Take it. All right, if you have a better Saturday than me, so be it. Yeah. Okay? If you put more time in than I do, okay. There's there's something to this that... I just, I'm so intrigued about because I love watching people around me succeed. Yeah, me too. But so many people are not comfortable with that because then they come to challenge themselves and they say, are they better than me? And if they are, I'm going to hold them back or I'm not going to give them any more tools to let them be any better than me. I'm not going to let them show me up. And if we can drop that nonsense... And we can all get on board with if we all challenge each other and push each other to be better, the job will be better. But this is where we have to acknowledge that, that it's the job over the individual. We have to always put that mission first. We have to. I'm not saying in your personal life, obviously finances and health and all those things, are they. you can't contribute to the mission without taking care of yourself. But when you're in the firehouse, decisions have to be based upon the greater message. And if we're always making decisions based upon what's best for the fire department, what's best for the community and our services we provide, then you'll always have a consistent message. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. And then we have to uh, set this expectations of the level that people have to be at. You know, we're always going to be the best when everybody's operating at their best you know you, you don't want to have like the weak link holding everybody else down that is, is very tough in that large, is in large organizations that is where the individual self-accountability comes in because if everything's firing on all cylinders and you're that weak link then you have an obligation to pick up your game to be better what do you do with that what do you do with that some people roll over and say, I don't give a shit. They bury their heads in the sand. They don't care. Fire went out. People were yeah, saved. Unfortunately, in large organizations, 
you know, what do they say? You have 10% that are like that, that are just there for the ride. Yep. You know, 80% are there. They'll put in some effort. And then the 10% are going to be your, your workers, your go-getters. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I am a firm believer that we double down on the go-getters. We bring the average up and the guys that can't be helped. Well, we don't spend any time on them. Yeah. And I I think it kind of goes back to training, you know, training schedule will come out. You might hear guys groaning. Oh, we got to do this today. But then if you put on a good training class, it's almost like uh, after a fire Mm -hmm. guys will be like, Oh, that was a great drill. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, how about if we do this next time? And then there's that talk at the kitchen table or on the tailboard. The enthusiasm's there. The teamwork is building. And that's why I stress training so much, because we don't have the fires. Like the kitchen table after a good fire, priceless. one of the best places in yeah. the world. Right. You know, you, everyone's dirty. Then maybe they're on their apparatus floor, you know, rehabbing gear smiles endorphins are up everybody's just having a great time and if we can try to recreate that as much as we can on the training ground it's just going to make operations so much better culture so much better chief i love that i i've never heard it we can take those guys on that back 10 at tech percent and kind of bring them up hopefully hopefully you know, we're not going to be able to reach everybody, but if we can reach as many as we can. I haven't I haven't heard it put that way before until right now, Chief, and I appreciate that because my brain is spinning. This is what happens. Somebody says something to me, and I'm like, oh, I haven't heard it that way before. To bring training to a level that makes people talk about it will get the buy-in. I think so much of the training is so half-ass or so checkbox, or so we have to do this today, so let's just go through this and move on. There's no freaking buy-in. But if you get dynamic in how you deliver it, if you get dynamic in how it's done, and you make it a part of the culture, it's exciting in a way, right? Where, I mean, it takes work to do that, but the payoff on that is ten. It's a hundredfold. hundredfold, easy. And when you can when you can create a training environment that allows for even the mundane and routine type stuff, but can continue the conversation after the training, when you come back and you're like, yeah, you know what else I was thinking about? Or, hey, this or that. That's when you know the training that you just did hit. It's successful. Yeah. Yeah. Like this past fall, our training division did a very great, like, first alarm drill. Mm-hmm. We went down to our training building. It was smoked out. You know, there was, uh, we got to do forcible entry. We got to throw ladders. We got to stretch hose lines. We got to make a rescue. And we, they ran everybody through it. And, you know, for my group, I was there watching and just observing. And I could just see after each drill, the guys were talking. And they're like, all right, let's we do it again. How about we try this? And they were enthusiastic about it. So, yeah, 100%. If you can make it dynamic, get the guys talking, you know, it's going to be it's going to be very successful. 
you got to talk firefighting. You got to you got to talk about fire. Like I, we're firemen. Let's talk fire. Let's talk. Let's talk fire. Let's throw ladders. <sighs> Let's go stretch a hose out. Let's throw a high rise pack on our backs and go to the stairs in the station. I love it. Deputy Chief Mike Cadell, brother. What a great conversation, man. It was good catching up yeah. with you today. Time awesome time flies by in these things, man. I try to keep them to about an hour. Um, but uh, it's just nice to see you, man. It's been too long. But congratulations yeah, on the promotion. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome. What's next? Anything new or exciting coming up? Or uh, New and exciting. Um... No. <laughs> That's I'm okay. On. Good. Yeah, a couple things I'm working on. Good. We've got uh, a good association for tech rescue people in Massachusetts, uh, New England area. Good. Uh, we're trying to bring back COVID. Kind of killed it. Mm. So it'd just be an outlet for the tech rescue nerds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you were uh, kind and thought of me on, on something you guys have coming up, and I appreciate that. Unfortunately, the calendar didn't work in uh, in the favor of that. But uh, Yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make it work in the future. I appreciate that for sure. But I, I will say this for people listening. I mean, we have listeners all over the world, but what's really cool is the New England area is just so enriched with, like, passion and training. Uh, there just seems to be this really great culture in New England um that takes hold and uh and it's just been doing it, it for so long yeah well that's it true right so it's super rooted it's been you know for a long time um so i get that but it takes a lot of work and i know there's a lot of individuals that are super passionate about training and and pushing this job as far as they can and um there's something to that so bravo man bravo yeah it's good stuff well, Chief, thank you for joining me today on the podcast, man. It was a lot of fun to catch up. It was good seeing you. Uh, Absolutely. Same to you, man. Yeah, thank I'll, you for having me. Of it's course, bro. Of course. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I just – this is that selfish endeavor for me, man. I get to talk to people yeah. and, uh, you know. And you talk about your passion. That's it, man. That's it. That's, it. That's all I got. I got yeah. nothing else. <laughs> what else do you need? That's very true, my man. That's very true. In the words of Mike Cadell, let's talk fire. I love it. Let's, let's talk fire. That's good. Chief, thanks for joining me, man. Stay right here. I'm going to just sign off the podcast come right back to you, okay? Don't go anywhere. Yeah, thanks, man. Awesome, bro. Oh, and uh, if you sign up, I'm going to sign up for Pressure Luck, by the way. I'm, I've convinced myself that I'm going to do that. So if you want in, like, you know, if we could, you know, maybe do like a, we could talk about doing a firefighter episode. We'll get three guys up there. But, bro, I love so Pressure Love it. Love Pressure Luck. All right, pal. Be good. Thank you. You too. Stay safe. Brother. Yeah, stay right there, man. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Deputy Chief Mike Cadell out of Newton, Massachusetts. Squared away department, squared away chief. He's bringing a lot to the game, and uh, it was just a great conversation. And so, like I always say at the end of every podcast, take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse and talk about it, because when we're talking about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Fire Radio.